Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey listeners, later in this episode you're going to hear some talk about who has access to the polls for the Little Fair 40, and we had some crossed wires on the back end here at Mastis HQ, so we wanted to just clarify that our polls will be open early to our Patreon patrons at the Madonna level or higher, and then near the end of each poll's life, the general public will be invited to participate. So no matter who you are, you are going to be able to vote, but again, our patrons will have early access. Either way, you can find us on patreon.com slash mastess. Yes, we do talk about songs. Welcome to episode two of the Lilith Fairest of Them All season, where we are determining the ranked order of the 40 Lilith Fairest songs of all time. Of course, as ever, these do hold the force of law, as you know. That's why it's so important that we all think carefully about our, <laughs> about our choices, as perhaps Sarah and I have oh, been God. doing too much. Um, <laughs> yes, I am joined by my illustrious co-host, Sarah D. Bunting. And Sarah, why don't you tell us what's on the docket today? It was an extremely difficult ranking process. And as I said on Twitter, I have seen some ranking struggles in the lifetime of this podcast. This is the worst. And we're only on episode two. I know. Child. Oh, God. So speaking of okay. rankings, oh, by the way, my name's Bark Blankenship, in case I forgot to say that, which I think I did, but you probably know that anyway. Uh, this is how it works. We are inviting all of you to join us at patreon.com slash to vote for these songs along with us. And your votes are tallied into the final rankings every week. Now, each song gets a numerical point value. So for instance, the song that I think is number one out of this week's 10 will get 10 points from me. The song that I think is the second place or second best will get nine points. The same goes for Sarah. The same goes for our listeners who vote at patreon.com slash Then we will compile all of those points using a very complicated series of spreadsheets that I have created, and we will deliver to you our final rankings. Now, Sarah, we start today with Melissa Etheridge with Come to My Window, and... Um, this song reached number 25 on the Hot 100. It's actually not her biggest hit. That would be her next single, I'm the Only One, which reached number 10. But this, Sarah, is the only Melissa Etheridge song that features a music video in which Juliette Lewis, in an insane asylum, <laughs> scrawls her feminist rantings on the walls. I mean, what 90s-er way <laughs> to, come in, to come into this story. Um, this, I expected this song to be an easy rank i've never particularly cared for it um there are a handful of songs that accompanied a college roommate of mine's coming out journey that as a result we all heard them 17 times a day and um i respected the journey but the soundtrack made me want to dive out of our window um as it were uh but then my problems with the ranking started immediately with this song because 
Well, I'm going to play the clip and uh, perhaps you will understand where the difficulties began. I needed it all. I was wrong. This song actually is great. And even if the rest of the song is sort of like whatever, um, that whale that just keeps going that I was like, I'm making notes and I'm like, is this too rock? Is this not tubercular enough to be really Lilith fairy? And then I just like my pen just trailed off the paper and I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, this note is still fucking happening. Like, Somewhere that note is still happening. In some other timeline, she's just like, ah, and it's like on, it's at the edge of Helioshock with Voyager 2. Like, there is something so beautiful about the emotion and the pride in all the senses of that word in this song and in that note that it's like, the fuck do you know about it? I mean, I just wanted to hug Melissa Etheridge immediately after hearing the song. But then it was like, well, God damn it. Like, could could one thing be easy? It is the first song of the episode. It's already causing fucking problems. Um, I am very admiring of the vocal on this. I'm very admiring of her vanguard status as a queer artist. I still don't love most of her music but this song definitely notched up after revisiting it for this but it's it was really kind of a battle that it's like what are we talking about when we talk about Lilith Fair yeah um in this list though I feel like this is it an utterly I don't know exactly how to put this but I think the things that make a song Lilithy in terms of being woman-centric and about the woman's experience are the most individual and personal and detailed to that artist. And this is that. And also, that note in the bridge, which is still happening in space! Number four, seven points. Okay, so I... You were able to see me do this because we're on camera, but listeners... When I was singing along to this song, as I do with every song we clip, uh, I had my fists curled up in front of me. Mm. Um, the palms of my hands are facing me. The backs of my arms are away as I shake my fists powerfully at the sky. This is the only way that you can sing along with or even really listen to a Melissa Etheridge song. Because to touch on something Meanwhile, you said, Sarah. my arms were open for the the hug of power. Yep. So, and, yeah. S- but. You mentioned this earlier. Melissa Etheridge is incapable of being anything less than 100% earnestly sincere about every fucking song she's ever sung in her life. 
Like mm-hmm. she has never had a Dar Williams style, like ironic statement. She has never no. done anything like the chorus where it's just generically uh, pretty like, no, Melissa Etheridge in the way that Mary J. Blige does actually steps on the stage, rips out her guts, throws them at you. And then you're like, yes, ma'am. Thank you. I'm covered in viscera. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> that sometimes makes her music a little leaden. I think like sometimes you're just like, girl, like, could you just whew, chill for like, I have never really cared for instance, for that song that won the Oscar, because when you take someone yeah. who's that earnest and then you make her, write a song about climate change, which is what she did for the documentary An Inconvenient Truth, you get sort of earnest and joyless, but you are so correct well, that there is a liberating yeah. beauty to the song Come to My mm-hmm. Window, because I feel like here she is allowing herself to earnestly say, I love you. It's actually deeper than I want to fuck you, although clearly that's part of it. It's also, I oh, think, yeah. I, cannot, I cannot contain anymore the fact that you have made me insane with the glory of love uh, to sort of... I mean, yeah. sometimes I imagine conversations at their house where Timmy Lynn Michaels is like, the window is your vagina. And Melissa Etheridge is like, no, it isn't. It's just a window. And Timmy Lynn's like, it's your vagina. Yeah. <laughs> I came to it. It's your vagina. Now, Melissa's you- like, no, it isn't. You're an actor. Butt out. I got so caught up in your um, emotional response to this. You said seventh place for you. Is that right? No, no, seven points, fourth place. Fourth place. Okay, I'm glad I asked you because I would have recorded that incorrectly. Now, <laughs> because you would have been like, you had a bigger response to this. What? Um, for me, the song. God, this one was in so many positions, but I ultimately put it right in the middle at <laughs> like her window. <laughs> hey, how, many, how? What kind of blinds do you have on your window? Are they accordion? Mm, do they match the roof? I don't know. <laughs> Does your window match the drapes, dearie? Oh, God. <laughs> um, Come to my window. Uh, okay, we'll see. I'll try. <laughs> it's your vagina. No, it isn't! Ah! Um, anyway, I put it in sixth place, which gives it five points. Um, I guess it was ultimately just the feeling of the heavy rockness that kept me from putting it higher. Yeah. But, oh, my God, I love this song so much and have loved this song from freshman year of high school when I bought the Kasingle. Mm, oh, the Kasingle. Now, Love it. I put it in sixth. You put it in fourth. Sarah, the patrons, to a shocking degree, put it in first. I mean, it's wow. first. It blew every other song on this list up out of the water. The window is nothing but shards of glass at this point. <laughs> oh, I mean, ouch. I think we... We allowed people to vote for three out of the ten songs on this list when they voted. And I really think that maybe every single one of them voted for Melissa Etheridge or almost every single one of them because she had such a commanding lead. So that's ten points from the patrons uh, for first place. And for those of you who are new to our ranking episodes, just to be clear, we're only going to be discussing the five new songs that we're talking about today. But the five songs from episode one are still part of the ranking process. Right. So although we're only discussing and you're only hearing clips from the second five uh, patrons voted on and we ranked based on the full top 10 to date. So as you can imagine, if you're new, like by episode six or seven, there's a graphing calculator. (laughs) There's open snotty weeping. It's a lot. Um, But something to look forward to. Oh, my God. 
for kids. Now, speaking of weeping, I our next song, Constant Craving by Katie Lang, is truly one of my favorite songs of the 90s. But that doesn't necessarily mean it epitomizes the Lilith yeah. Bear, or does it? Oh my God, here's a clip. You know that expression, like, we don't deserve dogs? This is going to sound rude because dogs, that's not what I mean. We don't deserve Katie Lang sometimes, I don't think. Um, She, that voice, God, that voice. But here's the problem. For me, because I can find something new to hear and sort of marvel at every time I hear a given song of hers that I love, like this one, which I actually hadn't heard in many years. Um, even though it seemed like it was everywhere 30 years ago, but that, uh, huh, I mean, that I was just like, oh, it like opened a portal. Yeah. She exists outside of things like, is this Lilith fairy? Is this moist? Is this country? Is this pop? Like, is this from earth is the metric <laughs> I think with Katie Lang, like that voice and all those backing vocals are her and When you hear this song, it sounds very of its time, but then none of the elements of it, like those, um, the strings and the sort of like backing vocals pulling you in this like Chris Isaac video direction, it's not too much. Like it's of its time, but it's not dated. Um, But this was like, this was such a struggle because she's Katie Lang. And I think that her vocal artistry and the way that her lyrics are both vague and like stiletti sometimes um like anyone else singing about life itself you're like you know what whatever but then she's just like well i know some things about life itself and you believe her like she's utterly trustworthy as an artist in Mm -hmm. my opinion but I ranked the song at number eight with three points because I just don't, I just don't think sound wise it's that, that Lilithy. And I uh, think that Katie Lang is like the ship from V. How many metaphors will I use for Katie Lang? <laughs> Let's find out. That it's just like over us all. Yes. And we all sort of live in its shadow. And then occasionally a sunbeam comes down and it's like we are under the protection of Katie Lang our overlady, and I am fine with it. Well, I Mark, say put- something that makes some sense now, because I am clearly incapable. Katie Lang, yay! I also put the song in eighth place and gave it three points, because to <gasps> okay, me, uh, to epitomize the Lilith Fair, a song needs to feel like you could really only hear it at the Lilith Fair. Like, you need mm-hmm. to be able to hear that song and think, oh, I would hear this at the Lilith Fair. You hear Constant Craving and you think, I would hear this in the following places. A 1920s Weimar cabaret, 
a hoedown mm-hmm. with a bunch of really talented uh, banjo players and some yes. sort of subway performance that you're like going along and this person's like keening voice makes you look up from your magazine and start to weep. I mean, there's just something so there's she manages in this song and in the entire album Ingenue that this song is on to find some mystical balance between being very performative, but also completely seductively pure. And I honestly do not know how she fucking does it. Like this song is so constructed and those sounds Mm -hmm. are so constructed. I mean, the fact that Katie Lang, who at this point was in her, you know, she was well advanced in her career, called an album ingenue. That alone is like an an ironic gesture. But that that smoked honey voice and the just sort of ease with which everything rolls out of her. It just it's impossible to see it as uh, only being constructed performance and it is completely uh ensorceling to use a term and that is why yes, i agree with you it has it to is. be lower in this ranking but it can barely get any higher in my heart yeah i mean we don't deserve katie lang um i definitely don't feel like i deserve to have to think about this uh, look i love tori amos <laughs> i'm glad she exists even her shit that i don't like but this song, oh God, this song is really like, I mean, it's, it's difficult to listen to, I feel, because <laughs> there are certain t- utterly like er-tory aspects of it that you're just like, oh God, like take everything off, please. <laughs> so Cornflake Girl, but, maybe not going to be playing at your 10th wedding anniversary party. No, probably not. But... There is something utterly Lilithy about this, in my opinion. Like, it's utterly on brand for her. There would have been attendees in crocheted tops, singing, air pianoing, weeping during the song. Uh, I think the clip that uh, that I have selected gives you a gives you a range of all the Toriness occurring. Here's a clip. Never was a cornflake I mean, she had me and then she lost me that it's like, here's the, you know, piano banging and like things are getting kind of gross. Like what a sort of weirdly untory, direct, non covered in spider webs thing to say. And then that fucking Witches of Macbeth vocal starts in towards the end, and I'm like, I can't do it. With that said, I think that Tori Amos, Tori Amos's known lived experience, which we have talked about on a ranking episode before. Yes, we ranked every song on the Little Earthquakes album for those who want to go back. Into yes, the archives. except except the sexual assault song, which you know we just decided we don't get to rank that. Um, but I think that 
her, like she and the way she is, is so important to the concept of Lilith Fair, even though she wasn't at Lilith Fair, that just seems like it almost wasn't necessary. Like her spirit sort of perfused the proceedings. And I think that she, even though it's not for me, the ways in which she is for, I mean, sometimes for me, it depends on the song, but also the way she is for other women, I think is like a lifeline. So I think this is extremely Lilithy. And right now it's my number one and I am not sure it's going to move. Well, I I don't like it. But it's Lilithy. <laughs> it is. It, you're so right that she almost was the Lilith Fair, even though she didn't go to ever perform at the Lilith Fair. Like, yeah, like the proscenium arch had red hair, <laughs> basically. Like, yes. sure. I mean, this is a woman who refers to her songs as girls and fairies. Like, like <laughs> I, I, I know, I know, I know. I don't know what I else to her. say. Like, that is the Lilith Fair energy distilled. Um, this is a song that when I saw her in concert in, I guess, ninth grade, which is when this album came out, 93. Oh, my God. Um, I can remember very clearly being in an auditorium in Knoxville, Tennessee. And this is the song where she's like really playing that piano like it's a guitar. She's like rocking out. And this one drunk uh-huh. dude in a jean vest just kept oh, swaying no. back and forth. And like Aww. he just wouldn't sit down for the whole song. And it was like he had not we hadn't seen him before. But for this one song, he was like, I've got to get up and sway. And there's something yeah. so Lilithy about that, too. Oh, about That's like, adorable. Even, even he felt safe. Exactly. Even the cool dudes feel safe to just sway around in the embrace of a Lilith experience. <laughs> You're like, is that a Queensryche pin? He's like, shut up, dude. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> there's a meme going Love around it. on Twitter right now of a guy who wears a t-shirt that says, if you don't like hollow notes, then fuck off. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I'm imagining that guy swaying around a cornflake girl. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Shut up, Ann. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, y'all, now it's time for a word from our sponsor at BetterHelp. Uh, Let's talk about taking care of your mind. There are lots of ways to do that. You can learn a new language, you can take a power nap, or you can try therapy, which I can tell you from personal experience was incredibly valuable for me. I was in therapy for years, and I am so glad that I was. And BetterHelp is online therapy. You can pick your medium video, phone, even live chat only therapy sessions so that you don't have to be on camera if you don't want to. And even better, it is far more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So if you are ready to try BetterHelp, here is all you have to do. Our listeners get 10% off on their first full month at BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash Mark and Sarah. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash M-A-R-K-A-N-D-S-A-R-A-H. All right. Thanks, BetterHelp. Back to the show. So this song is so Lilith also because it is, it feels like you said the witches of Macbeth are singing. It feels like every feminine creative impulse is in this song 
There are 96 yes. different parts to this song. I had forgotten that actually mm-hmm. until I listened to it again. I hadn't listened to it in a while. Like there's the part where suddenly a gospel choir is singing about a man with a golden gun. There's the part where she starts wailing the word rabbit there. I, there's just honestly so many things happening and you just feel like this is a song that is being chanted by people at a moon ceremony like, I, I don't know why I know that they sacrificed a small animal at some point, but they did. Well, and there's that duality that you have in, like, I think Lilithness generally, and I think this is this duality is something that we're, like, trying to unpack this season. But there's also that, like, thing that you always have in Tory songs like this, that their very too muchness is the point. But there's right. both this Atwoodian direct blunt force um yeah blunt force directness to some of the imagery and the storytelling and then at the same time apparently this song was inspired by a conversation that she had with a friend about genital mutilation in certain cultures so like there's that like capital b big issue I'm going to ruin Thanksgiving dinner for everyone, my sophomore year in college, energy. But then there's also this very sort of like keeping your powder dry power of like direct, concise prose. And then she just throws them all in a literal cauldron with a bunch of lavender and a couple of douche boxes, and it's like, I don't know what's happening, but it seems to help a lot of people. <laughs> yes, and there is something about that wildness, that feeling of throwing all of your impulses at the wall and making music about them. There's mm-hmm. all of that is wrapped up in Lilith. Like, there's something, the the wild experiment that sometimes isn't working, but sometimes is, but you just feel free to give it a shot because it's a, quote, yep. safe space. Mm-hmm. there's actually something really lovely about that, even if it doesn't always work out in the end. And that is very Lilith. So yeah. I agree with you, Sarah, long story long. This is also my, uh, no, you put yours in number one, right? Sorry. I, I got to start yes, recording these. I so I don't, I get so caught up in what you're saying. Um, but I put this in number two and the patrons also put it in second place. So that's nine points from both of us and 10 points from you. And okay. for those of you keeping score at home, which I guess includes uh, Jenny Muller, hello, uh, I want to know that the patrons have now given us Come to My Window in first and Cornflake Girl in second, which means that their last episode, number one, Bitch by Meredith, Meredith Brooks, has been bumped down. I told you, things are going to get crazy. Um now, I also think it's interesting that in the last episode, we talked about Breathless by the Coors, and this week we've got dreams by the cranberries which to me is the bright mirror version of the dark mirror experience of listening to that chorus song sarah uh i don't know how you feel but this is a song that also sounds like it was specifically designed to be playing when a trailer for a film is rolling in which everyone is shoved inside a tiny car and one person is (laughs) leaning out the window like holding their arms (laughs) up to the wind totally totally um this is another uh my so-called life mixtape vet um i probably didn't need to pull a clip at all for this much less one that's almost 40 seconds long but i had my reasons and here it is
I wanted to get <sighs> uh, the late Dolo's um, wailing like yodel in there. Um, I also love you're a dream to me, dream to me. Like it just, the rest of the song can sound a little by numbers, especially since if you were like indie rock girl, like I was, you have probably heard it 11,000 times just in the last five years. Like it is, it is definitely a soundtrack go-to for like nineties period pieces now, I would say. Oh yes. And it was not, also not truly that that's in a the bad trailer thing. for every movie that was released in the nineties. Oh God. Yeah. Um, and it does have a very 90s sound that, like um, Constant Craving, like it is identifiably 90s, sort of like Euro indie, but it holds up. Um, and, uh, you know, part of it is like, I just am sad that she's no longer here and can't keep making music. I The Cranberries was the first, um, like, grimy show I went to by myself. Mm. In New York, nobody had heard of them. Nobody would go with me. They were like, strawberry alarm clock. I'm like, bitch, no. Get, like, pick up a copy of The Village Voice, please. Kids (laughs) ask your grandparents. But this is, I think you're so right, that this is like the, um, that this is the um, other side of the, other side of the world bright version of that Coors song. I still don't think it's all that Lilithy. I don't think it's Lilithy in the sound. Um, it sort of floated up my list because there were other songs I thought were less mm-hmm. Lilithy and because it's so mid 90s. Like, I just, I can picture never having even gone to the festival itself. Um, Dolo in whatever hair color situation she was going with that year, which changed all the time. And just a million facial bright silver rings. And that the very, very unapologetic uh, Irishness of this song culturally, I think was a little bit new. Like Sinead mm. tried it and then everyone was like, well, Sinead, I mean, Sinead is sort of sui generis, but this was like a more like um, indie band experience that was very like, it sounded like it might be a little more niche, but because it was good, people responded to it. And I think that that's part of the larger Lilith um, vid, as we used to say in college when we were shrooming allegedly. Um, So it's number six for me, five points. And it's number five for me, six points. So we are in close agreement there. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting that you bring up Sinead O'Connor, who actually did perform at the Lilith Fair, unlike the Cranberries, but who uh-huh. is not in this season, even though the Cranberries are. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that Sinead O'Connor, even more than Katie Lang, like you said, is just sui generis. She is too idiosyncratic to be considered mm-hmm. representative of anything but herself. Right. Um, but the Cranberries, I think, are a good band to have in this mix because they, like Suzanne Vega, have they traveled through so many different musical styles. But there is a fundamental right. um, beauty in the music that they're making. And I think it's very clear in this album. Everyone else is doing it. So why can't we? Uh, I just love mm-hmm. listening to the clip that you pulled because of all of the instrumentation in that song. Like there's just the little chiming guitar riff and the drums, and then she rises up out of the mix to do that yodel. And it all just is so lush and lovely. 
it actually feels, I think, a little too uh, generalized in its lyrical pursuits to really be truly mm. Lilith to me. And as we're talking through yeah, these two like episodes, the I'm realizing that there Agreed. is something. Yeah, there's something about that specificity of lyrical experience that that feels important to me. But that being said, it's still a great song, and I did put it right there in the middle because that idea of a multi-talented woman making music that can make you feel um, peaceful but energized, that feels Lilith-y to me. So that's why it's right there in the middle. Now, the patrons disagreed with us ever so slightly. They put Dreams in seventh place, so that's only four points from Mm. them. Yeah, but I think we're basically all on the same page in the sense that it's like there are Lilith aspects of this, but it's not really, it's not like inner, it's not like inside lane. Yeah, I agree. Now, Cheryl Crow, who is up next, was a major part of, I think, every single one of the Lilith tours in the 90s. And in some ways, as much as Sarah McLachlan, to me, is the representative of of this festival in my mind, She is an incredibly talented woman who was beaten down by the misogyny of the industry, uh, was dismissed in ways that were unfair, and was often accused of letting men do her job for her. And then on places like the Lilith Fair, or when she made her second album, from which the song Every Day is a Winding Road comes, she dismissed all of them and said, I will just do this shit by myself, no men included, please notice. And that actually helped uh, Sheryl Crow get nominated for producer of the year at the Grammy Awards, which is something that women don't get to do very much. They don't get nominated for that award very much. So she really did demonstrate the robustness of her talent uh, in the mid-90s, right as the Lilith Fair was happening. And she made some dope-ass songs that were about freedom and being on the road. And they had a sort of California vibe of like, we're going to go out and our cars are going to set us free. And we're going to sing about the ocean and surfboards and shit. And we mm-hmm. almost we almost talked about Every Day as a Winding Road in our recent episode where we ranked songs that peaked at number 11, because that is where this song peaked. Uh, but we're talking about it here. So let's hear a clip. I used to ride with a vending machine repairman. He said he's been down this road more than twice. He was high on intellectualism. I'd just like to note, Crowded House's Neil Finn is the backing vocal on this song. Yes. Go ahead. Oh, God. Now that you say that, I can totally hear it. Yeah. Whoa. Something so strong Yeah, indeed. once you know that, it's like, oh, sure. Hey, buddy. Uh, this is a song that is uncomplicated in its joy, and it is a song that I feel like you almost have to be barefoot to listen to correctly. Um, mm-hmm. You can wear jeans or shorts. <laughs> that's up to you, but you must be barefoot. Um, I think that there is something here, like we were talking about with Dar Williams, of the wry wit, because she's like, he was high on intellectualism. I've never been there, but the brochure looks nice. That is a really nice way of savagely burning an arrogant dude, but making it sound like you're burning yourself. That's sophisticated, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you diss Cheryl, you diss yourself. Uh, so for me, Sarah, this is definitely a Lilithy song, and I put it in third place and gave it eight points. 
I had it a little lower. Um, I remember the first time I heard this song and just being like, uh, uh. I mean, there's something about her, her openers on the songs of this album that are like, she manages in like two chords to tell you where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, what the weather is there, how it smells. Is there a top note of urinal cake in this story? Mm. Um, there is some overly specific, like fakey blue collar detail in here that like sometimes lyrically she can be a little cutesy. And, but she has control of it. And I think that's pretty Lilithy. I mean, I think her whole sort of like biography is very Lilithy. But I think what she's doing in this song, which is um, understanding that in order to get the things that she wants from her art, she's going to have to find a way to treat with the male gaze while actually making fun of it unbeknownst to it at the same time, which is fucking hard. And she does it a lot. And I'm into it. Also, she's really pretty and she has good hair. Um, That's not meaningless <laughs> it's not part of my ranking i'm just saying um and she had to put up with fucking lance armstrong like there's just no she doesn't deserve that <laughs> justice for cheryl crow um this is a little too produced for me to feel that it's extremely lilithy um and also it's in the fucking same episode as cornflake girl like Help us help you, ladies. But uh, yeah, this was right in the middle for me. Fifth place, six points. But I just um, really enjoyed not only sort of thinking about this song in this context, but then going back and like listening to a bunch of other Cheryl Crow songs and realizing that there is a lot more that goes into like the iceberg of a of particularly a women's and a woman produced pop song, the part that you hear the iceberg that you hear, and then the vast underwater parts of it, where you think about all the things that are going on to, to push this iceberg up above the surface. I'm really completely out of control with the metaphors today. I apologize, but, um, that it was like a pleasure to contemplate. And, um, that's not necessarily reflected in my ranking. Well, it is. I actually, I'm now wondering if I maybe ranked her slightly too high because I th- some of the way that you just described her music is, is correct, I think, in that I feel like Sheryl Crow is like John Mellencamp in the sense that she creates a lot of good music but has maybe never created a masterpiece. And decades Ooh. of decades of a B-plus is more than some people who made one A-plus record can actually pull off. And huh. I, I feel like yeah. she is a she is so solid and it's her ability to be solid for decades that is makes me like her more now than maybe I did even at the time. And while there is never a single That sh- is a fascinating question though. Maybe we should do a whole season of like the B plus the B plus forty. <laughs> Seriously. Like because that's such a fascinating like prospect and Mellencamp, perfect example. Anyway, sorry, continue. So anyway, it's it's not it's not easy to be very good for a long time, even if you're never excellent. Mm. But I think that she might drift down in my rankings going forward because I want excellent songs to be up at the top. Even like I want excellent songs that also embody Lilith to be at the top. And this is a great 
song, but it's maybe not an excellent song. Anyway, more on that later. Um, the patrons put this song in sixth place and gave it five points. So right there with you, Sarah, mm. putting it in the middle. And now we're going to use the magic of editing to make it seem like I'm instantly going to go tally up these scores when really it's going to take a while. and we are back here is your current standings among our 10 contenders in last place perhaps forever is breathless by the cores in ninth place is bizarre love triangle coming in in eighth place is constant craving but that's no disrespect to you kd Mm -mm. Uh, in seventh place we have blood makes noise in sixth place, a new entry from the Cranberries with Dreams. In fifth place, we have Bitch by Meredith Brooks. In fourth place, another new entry from Cheryl Crow, Every Day is a Winding Road. In third mm-hmm. place, thanks largely to the wildfire support of the patrons or the listeners, we have Come to My Window by Melissa Etheridge. In mm-hmm. second place, we have Dropping Down One Spot, As Cool As I Am, by Dar Williams, which means, Sarah, we have a debut at number one this week mm-hmm. from Tori Amos and Cornflake Girl. Yeah, I um, I don't think that that flaky goodness is going anywhere anytime soon, <laughs> but that's why they play the games, as they say. Um, this one was really a battle to rank and to articulate why I ranked things where I did. Um, I don't see matters improving, frankly, as we go forward (laughs) in these rankings. Um, But we're so glad that you listeners are along for the ride. And don't forget, patreon.com slash mastass to vote and see how things are going, see which new songs um, are coming down the pike, and um, to share your uh, confusion and fear with us because it is a safe space like we said Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship that's me and Sarah D. Bunting that's me I also edit the podcast which is a proud member of the Believe Network learn more at bleav.com to learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's markandsarah, with an H, talkaboutsongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastis Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Mastis. Thanks for listening. For me like I fell for you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.